trying to disguise yourself as a worker bee. That's you trying to blend in with the hive. But you're not a worker bee. You're a renegade killer bee. Killer bee. Killer bee. Viceberg Slim. I will chop your heads off! Welcome to In Broad Daylight, a solo podcast with your host, Adam Todd Brown. Hey everybody, welcome to In Broad Daylight, a solo politics and news podcast. I mean, it's mostly a politics podcast, but news about politics, how about that? I'm your host, Adam Todd Brown, joining me as co-host. Why do you fall for that every time? It's a solo podcast. Of course I don't have a co-host. That's what solo means. I am riding alone. I cannot take the carpool lane to finish this podcast. Unfortunately, how's everyone out there doing? You know you don't have to answer me. I can't hear you, but I can feel you. Like I say every time, tell me how you're doing. I'll feel it. It hurts a little, so only tell me once. Ow, someone just told me. I don't know how. It's not like I'm recording this live. What a Shyamalan twist already in this podcast. Anyway, what are we talking about this week? I will tell you what a lot of the country is talking about, and that is concentration camps. And boy, is that never a good thing. There are no circumstances when a country talking about concentration camps en masse is a good thing. People are up in arms right now because Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez used the phrase concentration camps to describe the detention centers The United States is holding migrants and asylum seekers in along the southern border. This was during an Instagram live stream on Monday night. Instagram, where all the good politics shit happens. She specifically referenced Fort Sill, which I talked about on last week's episode. It's a former Japanese internment camp that we're now planning to use to house migrant children who cross the border alone. And her exact quote was, The fact that concentration camps are now an institutionalized practice in the home of the free is extraordinarily disturbing, and we need to do something about it. I would agree with that, but of course, Republicans lost their shit over this. Here's a quote from Liz Cheney. This happened on Twitter. Please, at AOC, Do us all a favor and spend just a few minutes learning some actual history. Six million Jews were exterminated in the Holocaust. You demean their memory and disgrace yourself with comments like this. I hate this argument so much. It can't be Nazi-like because six million Jews haven't died yet. Like, we dropped a nuclear weapon on Hiroshima, right? We know what kind of devastation it caused. Now, fast forward to today. If we detected a similar weapon hurtling through the skies in this country's direction, we 100% would not wait for it to hit the ground before we decide what to do about it. We certainly wouldn't argue about if it was actually a nuclear weapon before it landed. The world is equipped with all sorts of experts who can look at a thing like that 
and identify it immediately. And things like Nazism and concentration camps are no different. This stuff doesn't have to reach its obvious conclusion before you know that's where it's headed. There is a playbook that leaders like this follow, and Trump is following it to the letter. And as for whether these detention centers meet the legal definition of concentration camps, AOC herself followed up the controversy on Monday night. She tweeted out an article the next morning. It's an Esquire article that quotes Andrea Pitzer, who is author of One Long Night, A Global History of Concentration Camps. And this is a quote. We have what I would call a concentration camp system. And the definition of that in my book is mass detention of civilians without trial. Here's another quote. What's required is a little bit of demystification of it. Things can be concentration camps without being Dachau or Auschwitz. Concentration camps in general have always been designed at the most basic level to separate one group of people from another group, usually because the majority group or the creators of the camp deem the people they're putting in it to be dangerous or undesirable in some way. That is Waitman Wade Biom, a Holocaust and Genocide Studies historian and a lecturer at the University of Virginia. So yes, they are concentration camps. If you look up the actual definition of a concentration camp, it's basically just a camp where refugees, asylum seekers, political prisoners, anything of the like, are held under armed guard and are not allowed to leave. That's a concentration camp, baby. You don't have to be killing people for it to be a concentration camp. And you don't have to have killed six million Jews to be a fucking Nazi. That's just a thing the Nazis did. There are other things you can do to be a Nazi. But hey, don't worry. Trump has a solution for our burgeoning concentration camp overcrowding problem. Let the deportations begin. Here is a quote. From a tweet, of course. Next week, ICE will begin the process of removing the millions of illegal aliens who have illicitly found their way into the United States. They will be removed as fast as they come in. That's pretty crazy, and we'll talk about it more in a second. But against all odds, that isn't even the craziest part of that tweet, which was actually a thread just like all of Trump's hair. It's just one threat that wraps around. Fucking killed in this room. Anyway, he added this. Guatemala is getting ready to sign a safe third agreement. That's even crazier than the first part. It just takes some explaining to understand why. A safe third agreement is one where instead of detaining people seeking asylum in our country, in our country, we send them to a third country while they wait to have their cases heard. And the understanding here is that this third country is a safe one that is capable of protecting refugees and asylum seekers. And in this case, I'd just like to remind you, we're talking about Guatemala, which is absolutely one of the Central American countries people are fleeing because of the rampant crime and violence. So Guatemala can't keep their own people safe. But we trust them to keep people fleeing other unsafe countries safe. That makes so much sense. Truly. That is astonishing logic. But anyway, about 
that promise to deport millions of people. It should not surprise anyone. I did an episode of this podcast back in February called El Paso. It was about Trump's El Paso rally that happened earlier this year. In that rally, and I do believe I've brought this up another time on this podcast since then, he very blatantly and clearly said that we're going to get the 900,000 plus people waiting to have their asylum cases heard out of here. He said, we have the very best law enforcement. We know where they are. We just have to change our laws first. So we should have been asking then what he meant, not on the eve of him actually doing it. But as I mentioned before on that episode also, we were also charmed during that El Paso rally by him talking about maybe buying a dog. Who can focus on the deportation of 900,000 asylum seekers when Trump might buy a fucking dog? But here we are. Sure enough, ICE appears to be gearing up for mass arrests. According to the New York Times, they've requested that agents in Homeland Security Investigations assist the Enforcement and Removal Operations Wing of ICE. It's a... It's a nationwide reallocation of resources, and that's rare, and it would only be done if something big was coming. So Trump has promised deportations are about to start. I mean, they've started, but this feels like something very, very different because we've been deporting people since Obama. So obviously, if it merited a tweet from his majesty this is something else. And if ICE is requesting extra resources from Homeland Security, something's about to happen. It might already have happened by the time this episode goes up. Who knows? In other immigration enforcement news, landlords and housing authorities are upset about a Trump administration plan to evict undocumented immigrants from subsidized housing. Under these new guidelines, households with one or more undocumented family members would be banned from living in HUD housing. Landlords are upset because, one, this will be a massive undertaking. As the proposal is written, it would require up to 108,000 people currently receiving benefits to be evicted. And when you say 108,000 people receiving benefits, that's the person in the household who's receiving the benefits. They might have kids. They might have a spouse. that. That's not the hard limit on the number of people who would be evicted. One housing authority administrator estimated the cost of each eviction to be around $1,000, a cost that those local housing authorities would just have to swallow. The proposal also requires housing administrators to verify the immigration status of every resident every year. In Los Angeles alone, the cost of that enforcement would be nearly $10 million. Also, what a law like this does is it puts the responsibility of enforcing immigration law on the shoulders of landlords. But that's exactly what we're headed for. We're already there to some extent. By the time this is done, immigration enforcement is going to be an everyone job. This administration absolutely wants an environment where people at every level of society are expected to report undocumented immigrants to the government, and it will be expected that you'll lose something if you don't. That's what the sanctuary city thing is, which he's been talking about for as long as he's been campaigning. 
it's not just that you have to be a city that doesn't openly welcome immigrants. You have to aid in immigration enforcement or your city loses funding. And something I've mentioned before, when you're dealing with funding from the government, that's probably some sort of social program, which means it's something that people have signed up for. So the government could conceivably, under the sanctuary city idea of Trump's, they could go to that organization and go, listen, you need to give us the addresses of every undocumented immigrant that you're providing services to right now so we can go deport them or your city loses all funding and then nobody gets any help. And this HUD thing is just another example of that. It's maybe one of the first examples of it we're going to see. If your local HUD authority decides they don't want to evict households where undocumented immigrants live, there just won't be a HUD there anymore. They'll, They'll just defund it. And if an individual landlord decides they don't want to, they won't get HUD money anymore. And then at that point, it becomes a head of household issue. If you are caring for a family and you have say, one elderly relative living with you who is undocumented, now it's up to you to decide, well, do I want to kick them out onto the streets and let them fend for themselves, where they're obviously going to get deported, if they're not already on the way to being deported just because this initiative has put your family on ICE's radar, you have to decide if you want to kick your family member out of your place to live or lose your place to live. That's what I mean when I say immigration enforcement is eventually going to become an every person problem. It's going to be a thing we're all expected to participate in in some way. And when I say all of us, I don't mean every single person. But if you're working in a capacity where a person has to fill out an application of some sort, say you're just a regular landlord who doesn't get HUD money, Is it that big of a stretch to go from, okay, well, as part of our immigration enforcement efforts, every housing authority has to verify the immigration status of every person they rent to? How big of a leap is it to go from that to, well, if you're a landlord and you rent a place to someone, you have to do an immigration check on that person? And if that person is found to, Uh, be living with people that you weren't aware of who aren't on the lease. It's your responsibility to run an immigration check on that person. And if that person is undocumented, you have to evict them. And if you don't, maybe you don't get to be a landlord anymore. It's one of those things that sounds really crazy, but we're already right at the door of it. But we're already right at the door of stuff like that. That's what this has... That's what this HUD thing is. It's an example of Trump making immigration enforcement something we all have to participate in. And I know what you're thinking, but Adam, if they evict all those people, those landlords still lose money. So what's the incentive to abide by Trump's rules? That would be a fantastic point if it was at all correct. Wherever you live right now, get online And look up your local housing authority and see if their website mentions anything about a waiting list. 
I promise you there is a waiting list. And it is a mighty long waiting list. If it's even open at all. The Burbank waiting list just says it's closed until further notice. Closed until further notice. You will get Green Bay Packers season tickets faster than you will get HUD housing in Burbank. You all get that reference, right? I'm sure you do. Some of you do. Anyway, I cannot stress this enough. What Trump is planning is just a massive transfer of wealth and government resources to one group of people at the expense of another group of people. The simplest way to say it is this. It's Americans living in poverty versus undocumented immigrants living in poverty. You get to help one of those groups. This is absolutely the beginning of shit like that. If you don't believe that, check out Ben Carson's comments about the plan. He was opposed to it, but still went in front of Congress and said, this is common sense. You take care of your own first. What are the various Democratic hopefuls response to that? That is going to be the most important question in this election. What is the response to take care of your own first? The Trump administration has their plan locked down. It is to make life for undocumented immigrants and their families a living hell in the United States by cutting off their access to government services. It doesn't always have to be deportations, you know, just like concentration camps don't have to be death camps. In this case, evicting families and leaving the rest up to them is enough, especially in a place like Los Angeles. Right now, about 30% of the HUD residents in Los Angeles would be evicted under this proposal. 30%. That is a lot of people in a city with the vast number of HUD housing developments that we have. That's a lot of people who are going from having a significant portion of their rent covered by the federal government to having to fend for themselves in the fucking Los Angeles rental market. At that point, you probably just go back to Central America or try your luck in Mexico or something along those lines. I know comics who would probably commute to LA from Mexico if they had a reliable vehicle, but they don't. So they just live in their unreliable vehicles instead because Los Angeles is an insanely expensive place to live. And making it impossible or impractical to live without government help is a classic anti-immigration strategy. And it's one that has proven, especially in other countries where it's been tried, to not really work, especially if you're talking about refugees and people seeking asylum. Like, living on the streets of the United States is probably still preferential to living in El Salvador. In some cases, it's probably at least moderately safer. And that's what you find with policies like this. People still come because it's still safer to be there than in their home country. That's, the, that's how dire the situations people are facing when they're fleeing their country for the United States. So it's unnecessarily cruel, and it's not really going to work. It's just going to give us more homeless people, if anything. 
And man, is that something Los Angeles doesn't need. But that's for another podcast. The worst part about this is that this is going to work. It's going to work and it's going to make Trump look like a fucking hero. Who's it going to make him look like a hero to? A lot of people who've been waiting a long time for just a little assistance from the government. When people are evicted from HUD housing or otherwise kicked off the rolls of other social programs, it's going to open up those waiting lists that people have been on for sometimes years and years and years, which could mean the difference between you and your kids sharing a bedroom and you and your family living in a townhouse where you each have your own bedroom. And if you're a person living below the poverty line or hovering right around it, that's some life-changing shit. I grew up very poor. I know what it's like to finally be able to move in to a place, one, that's your own, and two, where you have a little bit of room to move around. That shit is huge, and that shit is going to resonate with voters who in a lot of cases probably didn't vote before, but they might vote this time. And you know who they're going to vote for? The motherfucker that put them in that townhouse. How are the Democrats going to put people in townhouses? That's what the fuck they need to figure out for 2020. How can you improve lives quickly without also deporting millions of people to war-torn and poverty-torn and crime-torn Central America. That is what Democrats need to figure out. <laughs> and I'm sure they will. Uh, hey, speaking of a little assistance from the government, have you heard about Mitch McConnell's stance on reparations? You are not going to believe this. He's opposed to him. Here's his argument. I don't think reparations for something that happened 150 years ago, for whom none of us currently living are responsible, is a good idea. We've tried to deal with our original sin of slavery by fighting a civil war, by passing landmark civil rights legislation. We elected an African-American president. End quote. Holy shit. There is a lot to sift through in that argument. First off, how about that we elected an African-American president line? That means America and black people are all square on slavery? Because a guy you probably told your friends was a secret Muslim got to be president for eight years? Slavery lasted longer than America has been America. That's not even sort of a good deal. LL Cool J saying, if you forgive the gold chains, I'll forgive the iron chains at the end of that Brad Paisley song is a better deal than what Mitch McConnell is proposing. And then there's the none of us currently living are responsible line. Okay, how about this? What if you're a rich, powerful family who used slavery to build your fortune? Your current heirs didn't do slavery, but they're certainly benefiting from what it helped you build. So how about we take that reparations money from them? Or maybe big corporations that profited off slavery when slavery was a thing in the United States? Maybe that's a possibility. Here is a list of companies that have admitted to profiting off of slavery at some point in their history, and it's an abridged list. It is definitely not the entire list of American companies that profited off of slavery in their past. But here go a few. Lehman Brothers, Aetna, 
J.P. Morgan Chase, New York Life, Wachovia Bank, USA Today, on and on and on. So we can come up with untold billions of dollars to bail out banks when they're about to fail. But these same banks that in some cases profited off of slavery, they can't come up off some of that money to pay reparations. I feel like they have it in their budget. It might be a strain on the shareholders, but hey, to make America great again, it's going to take sacrifice from all of us. So sure, Mitch McConnell, we won't penalize people who are currently living now and did not profit or participate in slavery in any way. We'll just get the money from the corporations that did. How about that? All right, let's end on some good news, bad news. The good news, the Orlando Sentinel refused to endorse Trump. That's actually pretty big news. The Orlando Sentinel is the largest paper in that city, which is one of the largest cities in Florida. They have historically always backed Republican candidates, but on the eve of Trump's re-election campaign kickoff rally in Orlando, they published an editorial endorsing pretty much anyone but Trump. Here's a quote. After two and a half years, we've seen enough. Enough of the chaos, the division, the schoolyard insults, the self-aggrandizement, the corruption, and especially the lies, end quote. They did make it clear that they aren't just automatically endorsing whoever the Democratic nominee ends up being, and that they'd be just as likely to endorse a Republican challenger or an independent candidate. They also added, we'd even consider backing Trump if, say, he found the proverbial cure for cancer or about as likely changed the essence of who he is. Well, funny they should mention that. Because at that same Orlando rally, which is going to be the subject of next week's episode, I shit you not, he does promise to cure cancer. No, I am not joking. Why would you assume I'm joking when I'm not joking? Take it away, YouTube. We will push onward with new medical frontiers. We will come up with the cures to many, many problems, to many, many diseases, including cancer and others. And we're getting closer all the time. We will eradicate AIDS in America once and for all, and we're very close. We will lay the foundation for landing American astronauts on the surface of Mars. Man, that was a lot of promises in about 15 seconds. Did you hear it, though? We are going to cure cancer and eradicate AIDS. That is what Trump is going to do for you. And at that point, maybe he'll have the Orlando Sentinel's endorsement. Remember you said that, Orlando Sentinel, when Trump cures the cancer. So no endorsement from the Orlando Sentinel and a cure for cancer and AIDS. That's the good news. The bad news? The Democrats are doing everything in their power to lose this election before it even starts. Their latest shenanigans, I don't know if anyone saw this tweet. I'm sure you did. This is a quote from a tweet from the fucking DNC. This is a whole mood. Text boy bye to 43367 
to get this exclusive wallpaper. Do you even need to know what the exclusive wallpaper is to feel an intense amount of shame right now for the party that's supposed to be helping us fight fascism and white supremacism? Probably not, but it gets worse. Uh, That wallpaper that they're going to send you, it's just a black screen with some sort of pink image in the background. And then in white letters, it says, boy, bye, 2020, which, by the way, that's a quote from a Beyonce song. I don't know if she signed off on this. Probably not. Also, in really, really, really small print at the bottom of the image attached to that tweet, there was some verbiage about how they'll send you periodic spam texts in exchange for blessing your phone with this lit new wallpaper that is totes on fleek, bae. I mean, why are we even talking about this election anymore? Let's just focus on 2024 and what our military options for getting Trump out of office are going to be at that point. Like, if this is the DNC's plan for smashing fascism, essentially, we could not possibly be more doomed as a country than we are right now. This is a whole mood. Shut your whole fucking mouth and impeach the president, you trendy cowards. My God, what is happening? Anyway, text 43367 to uh, get that wallpaper. And that is our episode this week. Whose episode? Our episode, mine and yours. Come to our backyard show at Chet Wild's place. It is going to be a damn fine time. And I just found out, thanks to Jen Scott, there's going to be a dab bar there. Do you know what a dab bar is? If you smoke weed, you do. If you don't, look it up. Come get high for the first time. But not not on dabs. That you, that you don't want that to be your first time. Otherwise, your first time will be like Chet's first time. Hey, maybe we'll make him take another edible and see if he handles it better this time. Anyway... Come to the Backyard Show. It's going to be a lot of damn fun. Unpopsfoodparty.eventbrite.com or check out the Patreon or our Twitter for more details. There's going to be a live Unpops, which will be our 300th episode. There's going to be comedy from a bunch of great people, including myself. New metal trivia with me, Andy, and Travis from Pod the Life and Heart Shape Pod and all those other good podcast carrie martin's hosting the whole thing it is gonna be a damn fine time and you get food and drinks this ain't the fire festival baby so come out to that once again unpopsfoodparty.eventbrite.com or check the twitters and the patreon and that's all i got for right now let's get the fuck out of here adam say goodbye goodbye everybody i love you <laughs>